0: The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you.
1: The excruciating pain here that Jacob was in, that Jacob was feeling from not just having his thigh dislocated, but to continue to wrestle as his thigh was out of joint. That pain must have been unimaginable. We can only just try and imagine how painful this must have been for Jacob. But a tremendous change has happened in this wrestling match. And This is where we're getting to. This is the greatest part of all. The tremendous change that occurs here. And there's two parts of verse 26 that show us this great change. And we got to look at them separately as we look at verse 26, because the first part is the words, Let me go. Let me go. And when we read those words, Let me go, we understand now that Jacob is not letting him go we understand that Jacob has now made a gigantic change, that this Jacob who was fighting against God has now changed from being the fighter against his opponent. But with these words of his opponent, of the man, of God, who says, let me go, we see that Jacob has now become a man who won't let him go. In other words, he's a person who now is holding on to or he's clinging to this person. He's a clinger now. He's a clinger, and he won't let God go. So when Jacob's opponent says, when God says to Jacob, let me go, we understand that God, as Jacob's opponent, was trying to get away. He was saying, he was wanting, Jacob, will you let me go already? He's trying to get away. And when God said to Jacob, let me go, God's trying to get away from Jacob, and Jacob knows that God is trying to get away from him. Now we know that what God was doing to Jacob was wonderful because God succeeded in what he was trying to do. God was trying to lead Jacob to himself. As it says in Romans 2:4, despisest thou the riches of? of his goodness, and forbearance, and suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. See what Paul is saying here? He's saying, we are, the subject that we are talking about here in Romans 2, 4, is the riches of his goodness and forbearance, the riches of his goodness, the riches of his forbearance, and longsuffering, so yeah, all three are the riches of God's riches, the spidest thou the riches of, of his goodness, which is the riches of his forbearance, which is the riches of his longsuffering, all this is, are the riches of God toward us, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's the goodness of God, that's the forbearance of God, that's the long suffering of God leading to repentance. And what we see here is God in his great skill at work, the great skillful soul worker, God is at work. And as he's at work here, his work is to lead Jacob to repentance. It's a good a work of goodness. He wrestled with them all night long. He just simply had to look at them and turn them into a pile of ashes, but he didn't. Why? Because we're seeing the riches of his goodness. We see the riches of his forbearance all night long, forbearance. We see the richness of his long suffering, his patience. And all of this is leading Jacob to repentance. So this verse answers, this verse in Romans 2, 4, answers the big question. That's In our minds, when we read this, let me go, God says, let me go to Jacob. And we ask a question. Why would God, who wants Jacob to change from his non-God-centric life to a new life of having God as his center, why would he want to get away from Jacob? Why is he saying to Jacob, let me go? Why do we see God trying to push him off him? Stop, get away from me. Stop holding on to me. Push him away. Because it says in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If it says that God is not willing that any should perish, that includes Jacob. So it means the Lord is not willing that Jacob should perish. And since God is the only way for a person not to perish, why would God try to get away from Jacob? Why would he say, let me go? I mean, if God is not willing that any man should perish, why is God so non-obvious to everyone? Why Why does God keep himself behind a veil today? so that men can stumble in their darkness into atheism, so that men can stumble in their darkness into evolutionism, so that men can stumble into every other no-God belief. Why does it appear that God is saying to every person, let me go, let me go? Why does it appear that God is trying to get away from every person? This is the grand question that follows the words of God to Jacob in this chapter when he says, let me go. And the answer is seen from the response that God drew out of Jacob. That's the beauty of it. He draws this out of Jacob. He says, let me go. And then Jacob, hes this drawing out of Jacob where Jacob says, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And this we see now, the birth of a new person. In this we see a new man emerge from the old Jacob. In this we see this metamorphosis take place because this isn't the same Jacob. Because Jacob now has changed changed his position. He was a fighter with God. He's now a clinger to God. And that change from seeing God as his only ultimate enemy who stood in his way of having a successful life without God to now seeing God as his only ultimate help who could make his life worth living, that change is called repentance. That's repentance in three dimensions. That's repentance in full color. In Genesis 32. And that repentance came as a result. That repentance came, that repentance in Jacob's life came as a result of God saying to him, let me go. And when God said to Jacob, let me go, by making it so hard on Jacob and sending that terrifying message to Jacob that God was going, I mean, Esau's coming to destroy him. His his thigh is out of joint. He's in excruciating pain. And the next terrifying message Jacob hears is that I'm leaving? That God says, I'm going, let me go? That was terrifying. And Jacob was, through that terror, brought to change his position. And this is the big question. He changed his position from a fighter with God to a clinger with God. What was it? that caused Jacob to change his position from a fighter with God to a clinger to God, it was those terrifying words, let me go. It was those terrifying words, God was leaving, and that was the process that God used to bring Jacob to repentance, to the repentance from being a fighter with God to being a clinger with God, a clinger to God. So God says to Jacob, let me go. That's the goodness of God that led Jacob to repentance. That's why hellfire and brimstone messages are good because those messages bring the same terrifying message of let me go, that God is going to leave. And they bring men to repentance from being a proud, sinful fighter against God to being a humble, sorrowful clinger to God. And it's only the humble, sorrowful clingers to God that will not perish. Because the word, there's a very important word in the most famous verse of the Bible, John three sixteen, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the all-important word there, that makes the difference is the word believeth, believeth. That word believeth describes those who don't perish. That word believeth describes those who have eternal life. That word believeth means a wholehearted trust or a leaning or a dependence on God. That word believeth in John three sixteen is exactly what is visualized and what Jacob has become in Genesis 26 when he said, I will not let thee go. That's believeth. I will not let thee go. That word believeth in John 3.16 is visualized in Jacob, the now clinger to God. That word believeth means clinger. And those words in Genesis 32.26 of Jacob saying, he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me, it shows Jacob as the great clinger to God. So the goodness of God for Jacob was to put Jacob through the physical pain of having his thigh out of joint. And then the goodness of God was to put Jacob further through the emotional terror of telling him he was leaving. and That was the goodness of God that led Jacob to repentance. And that is what it took to break stiff-necked Jacob and make Jacob change from being a fighter with God to being a clinger to God. And that's what it typically took for our lives, for us to repent and change us from being a fighter against God to being a clinger to God. And just as God did, just as he did with Jacob, and he had to smash us also and then terrify us by, to bring us to repentance, to bring us to the place of being a sorrowful, humble clinger to God. The same thing happened to us. And it was all seen in the intensity of the words, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. They show us the depth of the great repentance that Jacob had. And, it, and that was what, what God was looking for. And when God heard that, he goes, oh, I got it. I got it. All night long, I worked hard. And I did this, and I did, said that, and I put a styot up joint, and I told him I was going to go. And finally now, it was hard labor, but the new baby is born. In other words, the phrase, I will not let thee go except thou bless me, is emphasizing just how hard Jacob is holding on to God and not letting God go. It's like a tenacity. It reflects a tenacity on Jacob's part. In fact, you could say that there's a tenacity factor in it all in how hard Jacob is holding on to God. You know, it reminds me when I was a kid in the 50s, and we'd go to these, these fairs, they'd have these fairs where, where you could, like the county fairs where you could go, and they had these handles that you could squeeze. And as you squeeze the handle, not only was there resistance and how hard you'd squeeze the handle, but then the machine the, would then apply these in this increasing amount of electricity like shock. It was like a, you know, a tingling sensation. And so you have, against the the resistance of pulling the handle, the electricity, the machine would show just, it would increase. And so, and then there was this meter on there, and it would show how hard you were squeezing and how long you could hold on to the handle as the electricity was increasing. So those old county fair machines were a measure of, of, of not only how hard you could squeeze the handle, but also about how much electricity you could endure while you're squeezing the handle. And then the meter would show how strong your grip was in the mounting of electricity and so forth. Those machines measured how tight you could hold on and for how long you could hold on with the electric electricity running through the handle. and. They don't have those machines today. They probably found out they were dangerous. I don't know, maybe people had heart attacks. But anyway, the concept of how tight and for how long or what your endurance factor was of the, in the face of increasing pain is what God is taking notice of here in Genesis 32. Why? Because how tight and for how long with increasing pain shows the sincerity of a person who turns to God. You know, it's really easy to look up at the sky on a beautiful day and say, oh, God made the beautiful sky. I have faith and acknowledge that God made the beautiful sky and and I'm enjoying that right now. But it's altogether different. It's altogether not the same to be in a totally different situation where it's increasing pain. And that's a relationship that is painfully disintegrating the cancer that is wildly metastasizing. The business that is that is disappointingly failing. The conscious that is burdened down with guilt and shame. That's the mounting pain. That's the increasing frustration. That's the burden. And that's when God wants to hear and it has meaning for God when a person says, oh God, I love you, I trust you, I must have you, I will not let you go except you bless me. You are my only hope. That's altogether different from being under the beautiful sky and saying life is good and I love God. That's what God was looking for. And that's what God found in Jacob. And that's what's indicated by the phrase. This is showing, this this is what God was looking for when he heard Jacob say, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And that's when Jacob got the new name of Israel. And that's when Jacob became, got a new position along with the new name because Jacob is now a prince with God and a prince is a son of the king and God is the king. So when Jacob was saved at this point from himself and became one of the sons of God as it says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, as many as received him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. So not only did Jacob get a new title, but Jacob got a new power with God. And that new power is referred to in James 5.16 where it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So we, along with Jacob, we have a new righteousness, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in Jesus' name and not our own name, because we want to emphasize to the Lord that the Lord Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And so when we're clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, our prayers uh, prayers avail much. That's power with God. And then Jacob got a new power with man. As when he became a clinger to God, God was so pleased with Jacob and his ways, that God gave him power with man, as it says in Proverbs 16:7. when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's power. That's the power of God applied on benefit the man's whose ways please the Lord. And all that was symbolized with the change of the name from Jacob to Israel. Then an intense desire arose in Jacob to know the name of God. Jacob saw this man was God, and he asked him in Genesis 32, 29, and Jacob asked him and said, tell me I pray thee, thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost asked after my name? And he blessed him there. God, who was a man, refused to tell Jacob his name. Why? Because that name is special, and that name was preserved as a treasure within a treasure box until the time when God said, now you can open the box. That name was kept as a great secret until an angel revealed his name over a 1,000 years later from this time of Jacob, when in Matthew 121, the angel said to Joseph, and she, speaking of Mary, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But Jacob knew one name. He knew one name for that man that wrestled with him that night. And Jacob told us, what that name was, in Genesis 32:30, 30. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Jacob knew, and Jacob said, his name is God. The man who wrestled with him, his name is God. And Jacob said, when he looked into the face of that man, Jacob said, I saw God. Face to face, I wrestled with God. When I looked into His face, I saw God face to face. And Jacob said that when he acknowledged, Jacob when he would acknowledge, when Jacob acknowledged that that man was God, Jacob said, "My life is preserved. My life was preserved, and that's true of us." Right there, Jacob has given to us the great gospel, the great good news. As believers, as partakers of the good news, we say, along with Jacob, that man, Jesus, is God. We know that. As believers, we say, along with Jacob, when we look into the face of that man, Jesus, we are looking at God face to face. Just like it says in John 1, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as believers, we say along with Jacob that it's because we have said that Jesus is God that our life is preserved for eternity, just as it says, as he said in John 8:24, when the Lord Jesus Christ said, I said therefore unto you, that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. But oh, thank God that to believe that he is I am, that he is God, that that to believe, that to look in his face is to see God face to face. No one dies in their sins. If they acknowledge that he is God, And bend the knee before him and call him Adonai, my Lord. That is salvation. And that's the great goodness of God that leads to repentance. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage, which Lord has illustrated to us, John 3, 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619 619- 619 God bless you.